0: Here in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 15 tonight, Lord willing. Uh, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you, that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you, through the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. For, brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is filled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I yield this evening to thee. I need your help to preach your holy word. Father, guide my thoughts, my lips, all that is said and done. And Father, where each and every person may be this evening, some may be struggling, I pray that you'd help lift them up. Father, some may be maybe going astray or struggling to stay right, I pray that you'd help encourage them to get back on the course. Father, wherever each person may be, I pray that you'd help us this evening. We sure love you, we thank you for being our wonderful Savior in your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Paul has just finished discussing the liberty that we have in Christ, and he now turns his attention to the foes. He describes their doctrine, but now he's going to start talking about the doom of those with wrong beliefs, wrong doctrine. And uh, in verse 7 and 8 here, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. And so they've been off to a good start, dynamic days. I mean, they've seen God do some great things. But someone has raised a roadblock in their way. They want to hinder them from progressing for Christ. And uh, as used of people breaking up a road. This word hinder here is like uh, someone putting up a roadblock, literally on the road, and stopping you from moving forward. You know, who broke up the road with which you were traveling, making good progress, Paul says. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'll find a a sign on the the road saying roadwork ahead or construction ahead. And uh, sure enough, there's a bend ahead. I know Highway 6 has had a lot of construction. And it's letting us know that there's road work ahead, and you're going to have to slow down to 60 kilometers an hour or 40 kilometers an hour or some very slow rate uh, that's going to change the pace. There may be a traffic light or something there, meaning dangers ahead. But where are the signs that Apostle Paul is saying, listen, There are warnings ahead, but these people that are giving you these warnings, they are stopping, they're obstructing your ability to progress for Christ. Uh, What if they were set up maliciously? What if someone put up roadblocks? I remember one time we were going down south, and there were some people that thought they could just drop the road off, and so at one point uh, south of Ponton, there was a roadblock it wasn't of any highway crew, but there were some people that were there, and we had to walk, you know, talk to them, and then we went through their roadblock. But they literally stopped traffic. I'm not exactly sure on all the ramifications there, but they stopped traffic. And, uh, and so Paul knows the dangers ahead. He says in verse 9, a little leaven. Leaveneth the whole lot. So somebody has been persuading them of arguments that have not come from God. You want to know something interesting here? That the devil can quote the Bible... He can quote it, but he oftentimes questions it, just as he did with Adam and Eve, just as he did with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ there in the 40-day temptations. So the Judaizers would have all the Mosaic law with which to appeal to their people. You know, those who are from cults, Uh, an individual who comes from a cult, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, a whole bunch of different groups are cults. And they will use the Bible out of context that fits their narrative of the Bible. They use the Bible, and so the, the only way to to counteract someone who's misquoting, misusing the Bible is for you to be familiar with it. Because it's easy for a a person who's a cultist, uh, not occultist, but a cultist, okay? Uh, Occult is with Satan, but a a cultist, someone who's from a a belief and a set of doctrines, uh, I I would say even the cult of the Catholic Church uh, there, because there's a works-based faith and uh, following a path which is not leading you to Jesus Christ by faith alone. It's by works and, and wanting all these prayers to Mary and all these other sorts of things that may go on. Well, nevertheless, these cultists will appeal to the Bible to get you to believe them. And, and what I'm saying here, you ought to check with the Bible. In Acts 17, 11, the, the Bereans, they check, the, they, you know, they, they search the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. But nevertheless these individuals here the leaven with which they are defiling these young believers they quoted scripture without really an understanding of the direction they're going 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 look with me here at 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 mark your place there in Galatians but in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 give you a moment to get there Now, how do you like it if you're in a race, and imagine you're in a foot race. It's, probably, it's been a while since I've been in a foot race. But if I'm running along and I have someone come up to me and just push me hard, and then I fall down, and maybe I cause my knee to bleed, you know what? They've hindered my progress. You're not going to be very happy about it. Well, <clears throat> it can very well be, that, or if someone is giving a detour down a road, because they want you to go down that way, and they don't want you to stay on the straight path, they want you to go down a side path, because of some malicious reasoning, you're not going to, you know, if you know about it, you're going to want to warn people. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul, but what does God tell us to do to avoid being a, uh, a prey, if you would, or being a meal for these ravenous beasts? 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, who is it in your life that could very well be hindering you from a forward progress for God? And God says here, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, there is a truth, uh, there is a singularity of truth that the Bible espouses, that the Bible preaches. It's one truth. And uh, if you deviate from that truth, well, how, how is it easy to get people off track? How is it easy to get people to follow a false, uh, a false religion? Well, what you do is you deny them the truth, much like what the Catholic Church did for hundreds of years. They burned Bibles. Then when they couldn't burn the Bibles, they got in to destroy and corrupt and pervert the Bibles. And so you have this action because they wanted to keep the Bibles from people because if you and I have the Bibles, then what they're teaching, we are more susceptible to believing because they'll say this is what the Bible says, even though the Bible doesn't say it. So because of their position, they can get people to follow them merely by their position. But if we have the truth and they have the truth, and I'm listening to what they're saying, and the Spirit of God says, by the Word of God, that's not true, I'm not going to fall as a meal to them. Because this book is the determination of what is truth. And here are these Judaizers putting a stumbling block of false doctrine before them. Does it really matter that someone believes what they believe? It does matter. Because your belief system is taking you in a direction in life. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. What is he saying? If you have some dough and you put a little bit of yeast in it, what's going to happen? With the right temperature, it's going to grow. It's going to rise. But if you remove, you know, and then and the Passover meal, there was no leaven because leaven is a picture of sin. So, well, so it's, it, it, the leaven is a picture of corruption. So, this, like, leaven would be like a sourdough if it was, and it's going to rise. You know, the only way to stop the action of the leaven, once it has been insinuated into the new loaf, was to put the loaf into the oven. Then you kill the yeast. The action of fire would actually stop the leaven. That's significant. That is the trouble with false doctrine. Unless God sends something wherein there's harsh things. There's, there's a lot of preachers today that are preaching a message that makes you feel really good, but it doesn't tell you any of the warnings of the Bible. Well, they're leading you on a path, and it's not until you're in a very rough spot that you're saying, hey, what you're preaching isn't true. Your preaching isn't helping me. What the word, what, so you've got to come back to the Word of God. What is truth? In Jeremiah's day, the prophets would be preaching, judgment's not coming. We'll bring in the age of Jesus Christ, that idea that's still there today, even though our world is getting significantly worse. The Bible would use the apostles and the Old Testament uh, prophets and judges that have been vigorous in exposing air. Why is it important that someone says what is truth? You realize that all churches will, at one time, given enough time, churches will bring into themselves liberalism, legalism, fanaticism, ritualism. And we've got to be careful that we stay on fire for the Lord, our eyes focus on Jesus Christ, that you and I are all daily in this book. Meditating on it. You want to know something that's interesting? By the third generation, so the third generation from uh, me would be myself, uh, my daughter, and then her daughter would be the third generation. By the third generation... Uh, you know, there is a need of the Spirit of God to bear uh, from the Holy Spirit a, a, a revival. Because it is often the first generation, uh, if you are uh, the first one in your family to have accepted Jesus Christ, there, uh, there's, you have great convictions, I don't want to go that direction. I bend that direction, it's a painful direction, I don't want to go that way and they would willingly die for it. You have seen, some of you have seen things in your life of the evil of life, and you realize that Jesus is the answer. You're thinking, man, I would never want to go away from Jesus. You have seen how good Jesus is to pull you out of the mess and the muck and the mire of life. But you come to the second generation, and they've been spared from, your children many times are spared from the junk you've had to go through. So they don't have the same convictions, they don't have the same uh, strength of knowing the world is an ugly place to live if you don't have Jesus Christ. That second generation, many times, they buy the truth and sell it not. It, It just becomes what the second generation, church and the things of the Bible can just become tradition. That's what we do. Well, then the third generation comes, and the third generation said, if it's just tradition, and there's no power of God in it, then I don't want it, so I'm going to go out to the pagan idols of life to find satisfaction. And they just leave the Lord. The second generation doesn't have the same convictions that the first generation does. They have heard that the first generation tell of battles. They have seen some of the things that their parents may have gone through, but it doesn't resonate, and it's not true in their heart. Thus saith the Lord, this is truth. And the little leaven. You see, every generation of people need to see the power and the might Of God. It's not just yesterday that God divided the Jordan River and the Red Sea. It's not just yesterday that I saw God do great things in my life and you saw God do great things in your life. Every generation needs to see God answering prayers, they need to see God transforming lives, they need to get a fervency and a conviction that truth is truth and it's not just tradition by what mom and dad believe. The zeal in the second generation cools. And by the time the third generation is in charge, what was first a conviction, then a belief, has only become an opinion. Well, that's what my grandparents believed. And compromise is now acceptable. It waters down. You might say sometimes there's some things that we might do that are a little rigid. There are some things sometimes that you might say, I don't quite understand why they do it that way. Christian, if we water down in a little leaven, a little bit of change of doctrinal position, we could very well lose the presence and the power of the Spirit of God upon the church. You lose that sharp edge. And I'm not talking about being mean and, uh, you know, I'm not saying that. We can still be militant or still be firm on our beliefs without being jerks. It's, we can still do that, okay? I'm not saying, ah, <laughs> you know, that's not a right position. You might have the right belief, but the whole wrong countenance, right? You can say the right thing the wrong way. The power has gone. The drive has gone. There's talk of renewal. New methods are tried. As you find in churches today, they don't have the power and the presence of the Spirit of God, so they've got to conjure it up with the music and the beat and all these sorts of programs to get people to have a feeling that it's the Spirit of God, when in fact it's not the purity of the Spirit of God, because by their fruits you shall know them. Are they wanting to become more holy before the Lord? Are they wanting to honor God? The emphasis is on education it's on programs the Holy Spirit moves out air moves in revival is needed not renewal these people some of them are just plain flat-out dead they don't know Christ And people drift away the amount of people today that are leaving churches churches in general is staggering because they've been part of churches that do not have the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ It's not about, it's just going through the motion, playing church. Church is a good thing to do. I know even in my own family. Realize this, as you find in the scriptures, that God may very well write Ichabod, as would be said in the scriptures, the name of a son, one of the prophets. The child's name was Ichabod, and God's just saying, I'm done with you. I'm done. You know what, we can still try to go through church and I can have programs and entertainment and all sorts of things to get you a feeling. But that feeling won't stay and that feeling isn't really the abiding presence of God. If we deviate from truth, then you deviate from God and He will pull His presence from you. The blessings, the peace, the comfort... You're going to have to find things that will satisfy, and they'll never satisfy as much as God can. The Spirit of God will move elsewhere. What does it really matter that we are doctrinally distinct, doctrinally true to the Word of God? And Paul could see the deadly leaven that was happening, that yeast that cancer that was coming into the church, and it was spreading, and it wasn't even the third generation, and yet this heresy is spreading. Does it really matter if someone has a different belief from us from the Scriptures? And I'm not saying we're jerks to them. We're to reach them. But I cannot agree with them. And if I risk offending someone else because they are in error of the Scriptures then at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before God and give an account that, Lord, I've stood with you. I've wanted to honor you. I don't want people to get the air because a wrong direction will lead it to where they don't even get to salvation. And that is exactly their doom. Verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. The Apostle Paul is appealing to them. He says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. He says, listen, I know that you can be steadfast. But some of these believers here are wavering. They're kind of like, what he's saying kind of makes sense. We understand what Paul said, and we know that's how we got saved, but but these people, it kind of makes sense. And Paul is concerned of this apostasy coming in. But realize this. I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter 5. Is it important for a Christian to know their Bible? It is very important. Because if you don't know your Bible, and and I'm not saying if you don't, you know, we ought to be learning. and You know what? (laughs) We can be saved for a long time. And I was saved for a long time before I knew some things. And I say that to my shame. I should have known earlier, but I didn't. But you know what? You might say, I don't know, but I'm going to learn. You know what? Praise God for that. You're saying, I don't know, but I want to learn. In chapter 5, verse 11, of whom we have many things, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. He said, go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment, and this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened And have tasted the heavenly gift, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, that they shall fall away, to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. The very fact that we see in this passage of Scripture, there's six matters of spiritual basics here. There's repentance from dead works. Hey, you can't become a Christian by being a good person. You can't. The other thing, there's a faith towards God. That's the essential. It's faith in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection that makes me a child of God. The number three that we find here is it talks about the doctrine of baptisms, uh, which happens after salvation, after someone accepts Christ uh, to be baptized by faith in a church, a biblical church, that, uh, a biblical church, the only one that has the authority to baptize. And then you find this thing. That after conversion here, but sometimes this doctrine of baptism, the Jewish people would have some ceremonial purification. Well, you can get all your sins washed away if you're baptized. Well, that's not what the Bible says, but that's what is taught. Well, this is coming in and Paul's like, we should get past faith, you know, by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. If a church only preaches salvation, that church is going to have its people be stunted in growth if all it's ever doing is preaching salvation. Your goal is, you know what, I don't want, I, I told my wife when we got married, I said, I like meat with my meals. I like meat. I like meat a lot. I don't want to just be drinking milk. If I had to drink milk every meal or some puree drink, gag me. I mean, just gag me. Put me out of my misery if I can't have meat. I like meat. <laughs> you know, we ought to progress past just the bottle. Drinking milk. And so, uh, that's funny. Anyways, the doctrine, he's saying get past the faith, get past salvation, get past the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, which was used in the first century, and also still used for the appointing of leadership. The resurrection of the dead. That all New Testament Christianity, you know, one of the basics, that one day we will rise from the dead. Our bodies will. And then there's eternal judgment for all who do not know Jesus Christ. Then let's turn with me to chapter 10, verse 26. So this, what these Judaizers are doing is they're making them question the very foundation. Hey, they're bringing them back to still sucking on the bottle. Let's get to the meat. Let's just settle by faith alone in Christ alone in anything anyone says by good works or by baptism or by communion or anything else added to your salvation. Or you can lose your salvation that's bringing you back and keeping you drinking the bottle. I don't want to be drinking milk the rest of my life. I I mean, I like milk, but I I don't want that as my staple of my meals. Jesus died on the cross for all of my sins. When I accepted Him, April thirtieth, nineteen eighty-six, I was born again. I settled it. Never. I don't need to revisit it. I was saved. I did what the Bible said, I'm saved. You try to tell me something else, no, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. Just settle it. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. The very fact is, as we looked in chapter 5 and chapter 6, someone who has the truth, the conviction, I need Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He is the path. He is the light. He is the bread of heaven, the living waters. He is the Redeemer. And they, they know it. They're convicted of it. They're like, wow. I've never seen such truths. But they never put their faith in Christ. They've tasted it, but they never never make that faith step. Great judgment will come upon them. Great, sore punishment who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. They stomp on the very thing that Christ did. And here are all these preachers today. Trust Jesus and be baptized trust jesus and speak in tongues trust jesus and do something else it's not jesus and it's not jesus and you can lose your salvation because if you can lose your salvation salvation rests on you alone not jesus those who perpetrate and propagate such errors they tread under the foot of god the foot of the tread underfoot, the Son of God, and they count his blood as insignificant. Apostasy is not the same as backsliding. A, pos- a genuine believer can backslide. You know, what is backsliding? Well, backsliding is I kind of get away from church, I get away from the Word of God, I begin to maybe dabble in the things of the world, and, and I'm not comfortable doing it, I'm grieving the Spirit of God as I do it. That is backsliding. I'm going a direction away from what I know to be true, I'm grieving the Spirit of God, but the Holy Spirit of God will convict the backslider. James chapter 1, verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You're going to be double minded. The only person that can be double minded is a man or a woman who is a believer who's going the wrong direction. And God will chasten a backslider. Chase, there's discipline, and then you've been taken to the woodshed. And in the woodshed, you get a royal discipline, it's uncomfortable. brought up a story. As I was talking with someone recently. They were saying, talking about being in jail and getting a slipper. When you come into the jail, they would I was, Raymond was mentioning, telling me about this. Uh, getting a slipper. And all, they would all initiate you with this rubber slipper when you come into jail and they'd all whack your backside. Your bare backside. Uh, that's a pretty serious chasing. You have these big grown men whacking you in the r- rear end a whole bunch of times. You just got a good licking. God chastens his children because he wants to say, wake up, you're going the wrong directions. A backslider in heart. In 1 Corinthians three fifteen, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire, a man's work shall be burned. God can very well take away all the good you're doing in your life And you can be going the wrong direction. Someone can say, well, I'm working too much. I'm not able to go to church. I'm not able to to do what I want for the Lord. Uh, And God can begin to strip away that job. He can strip away the nice things you have. And little by little, you're like, why has God abandoned me? God's not abandoned you. You've abandoned him. But an apostate is not a backslider. They're different. An apostate... Uh, someone in apostasy, is someone who has been enlightened to the truth. They've come to a recognition Jesus is the only way, and yet they've chosen to turn from it for another path, for another error. And they crucify, they put Jesus back on that cross, and God will abandon that person to false beliefs. Paul was confident that not a single truly spirit-born, born-again Galatian believer would go into apostasy in this Judaistic heresy, but he wants to cause those in the church to not go that direction. He tells us here in Galatians chapter five, verse 10, "But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment. Do you want to know here? Something? There have been a great." deal of evils that have been done in the name of Christianity. It doesn't mean they're Christian, but they've been done in the name of Christianity. And those very people who are perpetuating and preaching and teaching false ways, when they stand before God someday, they're going to give an answer and great and mighty and manifold and multiple will be their judgment. It's going to be an awful day for them. Because they have defiled and brought people away from, the, from a correct path. They troubleth. But he that troubleth you, that trouble there is much like Jesus. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Talking about Lazarus, he was troubled within, which troubleth. These false doctrines are coming in and the people's spirits are uneasy. They're not settled. They're not having peace. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye you believe in God? Believe also in me. John 14, 1 said Jesus. And this is what they're doing is they're upsetting the faith of these converts. Oh, that preacher, he's just too simple. Well, it might be I'm too simple, but I'm just saying what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he says something here in verse 11, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross cease. You know, Paul knows the pressure these people under. And so he disassociates anything from their story. He wants nothing to do. Paul says, yes, I'm a Jew but I don't want any part of your whole story and teaching on circumcision. I don't want any of it. I mean, they might have found grounds uh, in Acts chapter 16 where the Apostle Paul wanted Timothy to be circumcised. Acts 16, 1 through 3, if you want to check it out. They're like, wow, Paul's teaching the same as we are. Paul said, no. I don't. Yes, he wanted Timothy to do it to be able to minister to the Jews, but he didn't want him to do it. I mean, he, he wasn't telling the Galatians to do it because he doesn't want them to, to believe in this false way. You must believe in Jesus and be circumcised and follow the Jewish laws because you're adding to salvation and thus perverting and corrupting the very truth of it. So Paul doesn't want any part of that. He'd be misrepresented did you hear what so-and-so said? And the Apostle Paul, in, verse, in the end of verse 11, then as the offense of the cross ceased, and Paul would suffer persecution because of the cross. The Jews never recognized that Jesus was their rightful heir to David's throne. They, did, they could not deny his miracles, but the more reckless of them had already, you know, they had a ready explanation. They attributed these things to Satan, uh, just as they had attributed Jesus' mysterious birth to fornication. They would argue continually with the Apostle Paul about the law and Moses. They hated Jesus. They refuted him. They outraged by Jesus' love for publicans and sinners and harlots and you name it. They hated Jesus. The very same people the Apostle Paul is fighting here in Galatia. The people were scandalized by the cross. How could someone claim to be the Messiah allow the Romans to kill them? Do you realize this? That to preach the cross is an offense to the Jews today? It was nonsense to the Romans and the Greeks, but to the Jews, it was just mere I mean, it was absolute like they will go crazy mad. But Calvary, the cross, is the greatest truth we have today. Realize this, that the preaching of the cross may very well be offensive to someone you're speaking to. When you tell them about Jesus, they may very well get very mad. And that's not our endeavor. I'm not trying to make people mad. Realize this, that Paul was mobbed in Jerusalem, mocked at Athens, and murdered at Rome, all for preaching the cross. The cross's offense has not ceased. Today, people are still angry about the cross. They don't want any mention of Christ. Don't say Christmas. Don't say creation. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with Christ. Because that cross and a bloody sacrifice for all of my wickedness tells me that I'm not as good as I think I am. And then Paul says something <laughs> in verse 12. Is that I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. The idea here means to amputate. Remember when Peter cut off Malchus's ear in the garden? Took the sword out and cut off the ear. John chapter 18, verses 10 through 20, 10 and 26 to discuss this. But Paul was saying here, he's saying, you know what these people need to do? They need to emasculate themselves. They need to go all the way and emasculate themselves. Hey, why don't you just make eunuchs of yourselves? <laughs> you know? And uh, that'd put an end to their teachings. Hey, if you just want to go for it with circumcision, why don't you go all the way and just cut it off? Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1 He that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off shall not enter the congregation of the Lord. Hey, if they go all the way and cut it off, they're no longer able to enter into the presence of God. If according to their laws, hey, if they want to go for it, he said, I wish they were amputated, which trouble you. Get rid of them. He's kind of, I mean, Paul is just done with these people. Paul didn't have a false modesty. He was as fierce as a tiger defending these cubs, like a mother defending her cubs from a bunch of rabbiting wolves. If someone wants, if you have children or grandchildren, you are going to go out of your, uh, you are going to do all you can to stop these evil, wicked people from hurting your family. I mean, if I had a gun or if I had a knife or I had some other means of defending my family, I'm going to defend my family. I don't want them harmed. And there is a fight here saying, I don't want wrong doctrine in God's house. I don't want it in my house. I don't want it in God's house. Get it out. It's going to defect. If that little bit comes into that house, into God's house, it's going to continue to infect others. The Bible tells us, verse 13, For brethren, you have been called into liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, yes, these are wrong people. They want to bring you back into bondage, but just because I'm saying no to them, I'm not saying live however you want. Your liberty in Christ is not do whatever you want because you can't lose your salvation. It's not from one extreme, all these other things you have to do, to another extreme, ah, live however you want. Paul said, I didn't give you that liberty. Now, there is liberty, but I don't want to do that because I don't want to dissatisfy the Lord. You don't have the right to abuse the freedom given to you. Now in this land, we have freedom, but it doesn't give me the freedom to come up and slap you in the face or you to slap me in the face. That's, you've overstepped your freedom. And we ought to acknowledge the debt that we owe to Jesus Christ as he died on that cross to forgive me of all the bad I've ever done. It's not an occasion to the flesh to live however you want. the very base of our opposition you know of our operations Romans 7:8 but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence for without the law sin was dead but you know what sin comes in and then i begin to do a whole bunch of things i know i shouldn't be doing and Romans 7:11 talks about it'll deceive you and slay you paul didn't want any financial means to be paid to him from his converts, but he wants, they're at Corinth, but he wants to protect them. He warns us to not let our liberty here to the Galatians be the thing that seizes me to do what I want. Not to go out and partake in drugs and alcohol and immorality and all these things I know i ought not to be doing. Because those very things, here's an extreme legalism. Legalism is trust in Christ, and do something else. That's legalism, where you have to work your way to God. That's legalism. That's bondage, but there's also bondage to live however you want with no constraints and no boundaries. God gives us boundaries for our protection. I'm not going to... The other day, our daughter was reaching into the drawer, and um, there was a knife that was pointed upside down, and she was getting in, and she ended up accidentally had a little cut, a little cut. Little cut. Realize knives are sharp and they hurt. We're like, oh, we made a mistake. It was our error. Turned it around and said, we don't want that to happen again. Please don't play with knives. But by love, serve one another. You know what? I ought to be in service to helping others, helping others in Christ. We are saved. We become Christians to serve. To serve the Lord and serve others. Serve the Lord Jesus. Serve and bring people to Christ. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, that means to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ's desire in all that he did was to bring people unto God. Christian, the entirety of your life All that you say, all that you do, all that you act, everywhere you go, is to have the purpose of bringing people to Christ. That means when you're at home, and no one's looking, or you're out in public and people are looking... Jesus would take upon himself the form of a servant. I'm not free to indulge in conflict. In verse 13, For brethren, you have been called into liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The Galatians wanted to keep the law, and the Apostle Paul says, if you want to keep the law, that's fine, but love is the fulfilling of the law, and you ought to serve one another. Love will not commit a murder, it does not commit adultery, it doesn't steal, bear false witness, it doesn't covet. Love will transform the law's negatives into life's positives. Let me read something for you. Love, far from murdering, will pick up the wayfarer on the Jericho road, pour oil and wine into his wounds, put him on his own mule, take him to the nearest hospice, pay for his meals, medicine, nurse, and shelter, and then pledge whatever balance might still be due. And there is an opportunity as God leads and God guides. And I understand sometimes people are in their predicaments because of a a continuation in sin. And they've had opportunities to turn from their ways, but they continue in and they reap consequences. We understand that. So I'm not talking about a social justice gospel where I'm only helping people to pull them up out of their, uh, their position without preaching Christ and trying to seek for them to change their heart. By putting their faith in Christ, Christ will change their heart. Love your neighbors yourself, Paul says to these Galatians. That's the law that you need to be concerned with. In verse 15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one another. It's easy in a church. So and so did this. <sighs> you know, I've heard of churches. I, I was uh, telling someone recently this. I, was, I remember years ago, I was uh, preaching teen evangelism and I was at this church and this pastor was talking about a church that split, literally split apart because of the paint color they were going to paint the auditorium. And you're like, are you kidding me? Kid you not. Others have split because where the piano is located on the platform. You may disagree with it, but it's not worth dividing and letting Satan have his way. To love a person does not mean that it'll be ever never necessary to confront that person with a warning. Hey, sometimes people are going a wrong direction and they need a sharp warning. Sometimes they need that Compassion. But these believers here, they're fighting with one another,, probably, probably, over the question of keeping the law, that these Judaizers are bringing in these proud people, pride brings contention. Wherever there's pride, there's contention, there's fighting. This wrong doctrine's coming into the church. It's creating a whole bunch of uproar, and there's a lot of fighting. And Satan loves it when churches get into fighting. You know, Paul uses some pretty graphic language here. He used the idea here of a pack of wild animals tearing each other apart. Does right doctrine really matter? Yes. Because if right doctrine's there, there's unity and there's not fighting. If that disunity comes and that pride comes in, man, it just creates a lot of division, a lot of fighting and the Spirit of God says, I want none of that. People aren't saved. The church doesn't grow. The church receives a bad testimony. And it could very well be, God says, I'm done. The church might continue in tradition, but it doesn't have the hand of its blessing upon it. And it's dry and it's dead. Christian, the judgment... On these with false doctrine will be great doom. We're to reach with truth. Preach the truth. Don't compromise. Don't apologize. Stand fast. Because if we compromise and we apologize, it's only a matter of time that pride sets in, fighting happens, and the cause of Christ is stopped. Christian, we can't let that happen. Stand on the Word of God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. 2 Timothy 2.15 I don't know where you're at this evening, but the first thing you need to do if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, if I was to ask you, how do you know you're on your way to heaven? Well, do you know you're on your way to heaven? Some would say, I think so. I hope so. Maybe. Well, if you can't say yes with 100% certainty, and then at the same time, also give me a Bible reason how you know you're saved. I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation if you're legitimately saved, but there ought to be, you know, this is what the Bible said. I did what the Bible said. I'm saved. That's what I'm saying by a Bible reason, right? For me, it was Romans 10, 9 and ten that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Hey, I did exactly what that verse said. I'm saved. I did what the Bible said. I'm saved. I don't need to doubt it. I don't need to question it. Just because my response after salvation was different than your response after salvation, uh, doesn't mean you're not saved. Some may weep and cry, and some might just jump for joy. It doesn't matter. We all are different. It's not the expression of our uh, actions. It's the, the contrition, the, the humility of our heart. So have you accepted Christ? Number two is a Christian. If there is contention, we need to say, hey, I've got to get back to the very thing. My liberty is not a liberty to do as I please. I ought to want to honor and serve God. Be faithful to Him. Because when that pride comes in, fighting comes, quarreling comes, biting and devouring one another. And not only does that, I, I grieve when I see it. When brethren and sisters aren't getting along, man, it tears me up. It bothers me. You don't have to bother you. We have to have a heart saying, hey, I want everyone. I want you to be growing. I want to be growing. We have to want each other to be growing closer to Christ at the rate that God has us grow as we are yielded to Him. Christian, may we stand for truth. Don't compromise. Don't apologize. Learn the truth. Let's get from the milk bottle to the meat plate. Amen? Stand fast. Stay right. As we come to the time of invitation this evening with heads bowed and eyes closed, just a a moment before you and the Lord. You know what? You're not rude if you disagree with someone doctrinally. If they're wrong, according to the Bible, don't apologize. Don't just say, well, we have different opinions. It's not an opinion. Truth is truth. And so I trust Christian. You'll say, what does the Bible say? If the Bible says it, I'll follow it. When you're done praying, look up. I'll conclude in prayer, and then we'll come to our corporate prayer time.